0: carry on looking at these psalms and uh, and very much the focus of tonight is to answer this question or to try and answer this question what do we do when God seems distant you see there's there's an easy answer to this and the, the the easy answer is we look at who's moved and if we look at who's moved we find out very quickly the answer to that question but what does the scripture say in answer to this question what does David, as he writes this psalm, say in answer to this question? So what do we do when God seems different, uh, distant even? So what I would like to do, first of all, is kind of is put this psalm and understand why this psalm was written, to try and understand how this psalm uh, conveys what it conveys, and ultimately, what does, it, what does it actually mean for David to write this psalm at that particular time? And we need to turn to 2 Samuel 15. do not I'm not going to ask you to do it. I mean, it's 30-odd verses. It's quite a substantial uh, chunk of Scripture. I'm not going to read it together tonight. But what I do want to do is just provide an overview of what's happening in that section there in 2 Samuel, what's happening in the events of David's life which caused him to write this song. You see, so as we look then, as an overview of this uh, account of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 15, I would suggest you that, after we've perhaps gone through tonight, that, we, that you would read that scripture. It's, a, it's an incredible uh, account in the life of David. And we see how this complex story of David and Absalom causes David to write this song. You see, this is a story of deception. It's a story of conspiracy. It's a story of political displacement. Absalom steals the hearts of the people of Israel and conspires with them against David in order to usurp the king. So this causes David to flee, as he is convinced that Absalom would kill him, and also those who stick uh, with David. So that's the background then of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 15. That's the background to this psalm, and that's the reason that David writes these words all right let's read the text together then so psalm 42 and we'll see just exactly what uh, god's word has to say uh, for us this evening so psalm 42 as you can see the verses on screen but as ever let me encourage you to use um, your own bibles but psalm 42 then and we'll read um from verse one so as my dear as my uh, as a deer pants for following streams so my, so my pants, stole. sorry, there's a complete and utter error in there, forget all that. As a deer pants for flowing streams, my soul pants for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before my God? My tears have been for my food day and night. While well, they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How will I go with the, with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shapes and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival? Why are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me, hoping God, for I shall praise him again, my salvation and my God? My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep, calls to deep, at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your ways have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my God, and my salvation. So as we study this psalm, Tonight, I want to try and answer that question that I mentioned at the beginning. It's a question that for many of us is an all too real experience. For some of us, it could be an experience that we are going through right now as we sit and as we listen. So, what do we do when God feels distant? If you've never experienced God feeling distant, then you have my permission to switch off now, watch TV, and enjoy the rest of your evening. But I expect that we've all been in this situation from one time or another, or I say we might even be going through that experience right now. So let's see then what the Word of God has to say about this idea of what to do when God seems distant. How many times have you asked the question to somebody, how are you? Now, in your head, you've been a very polite person. And you've asked them how they are. There are times when you genuinely care how that person is. There are also times when you hope and slightly awfully pray, I hope they say I'm all right. Because if they don't, there is a potential for all of that to come bubbling to the surface. We've been there and we've done it. We've had that conversation. We've asked, how are you? Yet you can tell sometimes by that person's expression Tonality, body language and overall demeanour that they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. Yet they do what any good Brit should do and they say, I'm fine. You see, we've all been there, yet we've also been on the flip side of it where someone has asked us how we are and we've told them in abject honesty exactly where we are and exactly what we're suffering with and they say, good, and walk off. We've had that happen. I'm sure we've been on both sides of the argument. Yet if you would have asked David that question, if you would have asked David how is he feeling, then you would have not got good from David. See, he's in an absolute mess. And he feels about as distant from God as it possible to be. So as we look at this question, then what do I do when God feels different distant? I'm not going to offer you some pull yourself together and get on with it message rather much in the way that I mentioned this morning I don't know what you're going through this particular evening I don't know why God feels distant from you if he does but rather I want to use the example from scripture and of scripture to show you what King David did in one of his most desperate situations so as we look at this question then what do we do when God feels distant Well, we'll break it down as this. We realise that the first five verses is that David is going through a spiritual drought. He had been usurped by his son and overthrown. He is no longer king of the kingdom that God had given him to rule. 2 Samuel tells us that David has fled Jerusalem. We don't know where he's gone, but we know he is far from home. But what else is he far from? What else has he left behind? Well, the answer is the temple. In whatever guise it looked like during the reign of David, that was where God resided. And if David is God's king, then there has to be a constant communication between David and his God. There has to be a constant communication between David and the temple. Remember, these are the two centres of power and authority within the the, uh, the Israelites at that particular time. And yet David is far from Jerusalem. So well, in that instance, we have to remember that the Holy Spirit has not yet arrived to indwell in the hearts of people. So David doesn't know that closeness that we feel of God because of the indwell uh, living of the Holy Spirit. And yet it's this division that is causing him to thirst after God it's this division that is causing him to weep you see David speaks metaphorically of his tears you see we've been there we've been where David is when things run through in our minds if only I had done that if only I had said this if only I had not done that if I had not done this There are times in our life when, just as David did, we question ourselves and we lose focus from God. Which leads to ask us the same question David did. Where is your God? It's interesting, isn't it? Because that question is asked a million times, I would suggest. Every time a question engages in discussion about God, it's the antagonist question. Where was your God when? Where was your God when X happened or Y was hurt in this way? Yet David asks the question of himself. He's in this spiritual drought and he is quite rightly questioning where is God? Where is God? In the spiritual drought that David is going through, he's asking where is God? It wasn't that long ago that David was a shepherd. But he, he was following his shepherd. Who what we read and we considered earlier on with Matt Pitts, that it was the shepherd who lay who laid him down in green pastures and who led him by quiet waters. The relationship has changed. The situation has changed. And yet now we see not quiet waters. Not green pastures, but drought, but dry riverbeds and arid and harsh environments. And so David asked the question, where is your God? But he also asked this in verse 9, why have you forgotten me? Do you get the sense of depression in David's voice? Do you get the sense of depression in David's questioning? You see, David seems to be suffering the very modern experience of depression. And I only call it modern in the fact that in only recent years, we've given it the, the understanding or the attention it deserves, that we've really tried to understand just exactly what depression is and the effects that it has on people. You see, here is a man who is going through just that. He's going through that spiritual drape. He's asking where his God is. He's asking why he feels forgotten. But he's longing for the day when he would lead his people in the procession to the house of God. You see, David is longing. he's, He's doing what we are all incredibly good at. He's harking back. How many times in the past 12 months have you heard the sentence, when we get back to normal? I don't know about you, but I'm bored stiff of it. And I don't say that because I'm somehow enjoying this peculiar existence that we have at the minute. I'm saying it because we don't have a normal anymore. I'm also saying it in this way, that we, as a church, have a tremendous opportunity to restart. We have a tremendous opportunity to not do what we've always done, but to contextualize our mission field into the mission field of today. What worked pre-COVID won't necessarily work post-COVID. And so David, as we see tonight, longs to lead his people in the possession to the house of his God. He longs to take people back to God. And dare I say that that's our longing. That we as Great Parks Chapel, in whatever guise the Lord leads us into the mission field, whatever it might be, but we have a longing to lead people into the house and the presence of God. You see, David longs for the day that he can worship his God in his temple. You can see from just the first five verses that David is on this roller coaster of emotion, he's suffering with a sense of longing. A sense of desire to get back with God. And so as we think of a post-COVID world, we must do everything we can for those within our church and I can say within our church because we can be that selfish as a collective. we must do everything we can for those people around about us who are nervous, who are a little bit scared. But we have the privilege, just as David did, of longing to help people get back into the house of their God. We have the privilege of being in a place where we can aid people who have a sense of desire to get back to God. And we, as a church, can do that for them. But we need God's help. We need to be in regular communication with God, finding and asking for his leading. We need to be praying for our leaders of our church, that as they uh, feel that the the way the sense of God is leading them to lead our church, that we follow. And there will be times when we question, there will be times when we discuss, but we follow. And ultimately, we give people that opportunity to have that sense of longing, just as David did, and the desire to get back with their God. And yet what's interesting is we look at this uh, story of David and this perhaps spiritual drought. We see not not just a spiritual drought in the first five verses, but now the the emotion has changed. Now we see that the state of David's mind has changed in verse 7. Now he's not thinking so much about a spiritual drought, but a spiritual drowning. You see, the pendulum of David's emotional state is swinging, and now it seems to be getting too much for him. The language of the psalm has changed. Deep calls to deep. In Hebrew, that's talking about the depths of the sea. David is overcome with the weight of what has happened. The pressure is getting to him, and he feels drained or overwhelmed. For so many of us, it's a a very real experience of life. For one reason or another, life hurts. It brings uncertainty. And there are times when we can have that pendulum in our experience of drought and draining. Just as David did. You look at a king who was frightened for his life. You look at a king who had been usurped. You had a man who had politically outwitted his own king. And now had overthrown him. And yet, interestingly, David seems to intimate that God is behind this time of trial. Look at the language in the psalm. He said, your waves and billows. Isn't it interesting, then, that when we have times of trial, it may well be God behind those times of trial. But why is he putting us through that, if it is indeed of God? Well, I would say to you this, that it is to refine us, to strengthen our resolve. You see, I've been studying Daniel um, as of, over recent uh, months. And here is a man who, who, is, who God raised to the pinnacle of two world empires. He faced many trials on the way. Daniel was one of the uh, brilliant academic exiles who were selected to serve in the court of Nebuchadnezzar and we may never know what is behind our trials at a particular time the opening verses of Daniel certainly seem to intimate and in fact make it clear that God is behind it Daniel 1 verses 1 and 2 read like this in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And look at the bold text. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. God is very clearly behind the trial of Daniel. David seems to intimate that God is behind his trial, your waves and your billows over me. So, whatever this time of trial and testing that you may well be going through could actually be from God. It could be part of God's plan to refine you, to shape you, and to mold you into the people that he wants you to be. David certainly had that inkling that God was, God was involved in this trial and he wrote a psalm about it and so as we move on we come on to verse 9 into spiritual desertion he asked that question we looked at earlier on he feels oppressed by his enemies and he asked the question again where is your God are the seeds of doubt creeping into David's mind that God has completely forgotten him we have to remind ourselves that God will neither abandon us nor forsake us. And when our enemies come up against us, we must remind ourselves where God is. He is on his eternal throne. And we can claim him as our heavenly father. So as David rides this topsy-turvy wave of emotion, he feels deserted, drowned, and in a drought. He gives us the way out of our sometimes difficult situations. He tells us how to answer the question, what do we do when God feels distant? The answer is this, hope in God, for I shall again praise him for my salvation and my God. Now, you might say to me, actually, that's very easy to say. Oh, that's wonderful. You put that verse up on screen. All my problems have disappeared. I feel so much better. Well, if I've had that effect on you this evening, then praise God for that, and I am glad for it. But I'm being brutally honest with you when I say I very much doubt that's changed your situation, if, it, if life is tough at But the simple fact of the matter is this. If we really want to drill down, we need to realise that God will speak to us through his words. God has never given us a reason not to trust him. Hope. In God, for I shall again praise him for my salvation and my God. You see, David talks about suffering bones in verse 10. That might well be a very real experience for some of us as arthritis creeps in and we get up in the morning and something that worked perfectly well yesterday doesn't work this morning. And yet, here we have not so much the physical, but he is a man who has a spiritual hurting. And he knows to bring what he's going through to God. He knows that he needs to cry out to God for help and deliverance. In verse 8, David remembers that the love of the Lord is for both day and night. In other words, it's continual. We have a God who loves us and accepts us into his family. A God who knows us as an individual who loves us as a people, and we live in the good of the ultimate expression of his love, Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross. And yet we realise that we need to hope in our God in times of trial and to rely on him to bring us through just as David did. Now, permit me to take a little bit of preacher's licence. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are continuous. As you read it, you'll see. And so I'm going to continue to dip into Psalm 43 for my final encouragement. So when we face trials and we experience what David did, and we go through times when God feels distant, we need to remind ourselves, friends, that there will come a day when we shall again praise him for our salvation. But we need to remember that that time will come in God's time and not ours. But when it does, then we can take those words of Psalm 43. I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre. Oh, God, my God. I hope that tonight has been uh, encouraging to you as we go into another week. And again, we ask uh, the Lord to bless his word to us uh, this evening. Jonathan, thank you.